Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. He is risen indeed, amen? Happy Easter to you. So glad that you've joined us. If you have a phone, I want to invite you to take it out because I would love for you to take a picture of the screen. And uh, that's right. You're thinking, what in the world? Yep, you take a picture and zoom in on that and the sermon card will pop up for you. And um, not only the sermon card, you can find our socials there. You can also, from this point, uh, check upcoming events on our website. And then on top of that, uh, a digital communication card. So we appreciate so much you being with us this morning. Anybody excited about Jesus? That's, that's my simple question. You're excited about the Lord. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them with me to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. We have been in a series called The Road to Easter. And we're talking about the specific roads that Jesus took in route to resurrection morning. And so in week one, we talked about the road of entry or the triumphal entry. And in week two, Pastor Chad last week talked about the road through Gethsemane, which was Thursday night, what we call Maundy Thursday. And today I want to share with you a message called the Via Dolorosa, the Via Dolorosa. Now that word via or phrase Via Dolorosa is Latin for the way of sorrows, the way of suffering. That's what the text actually means. It a, means a, a painfully difficult route, a painfully difficult passage, a painful, painfully difficult series of experiences. Now, here's what's so amazing within church history. You're going to see in this next slide, within Christian tradition and the Via Dolorosa, the Via Dolorosa has held, next slide, 14 different ultimate stations. And in these different stations that we find where God actually comes to intervene in our lives, nine of those 14 events are mentioned in the Gospels, and then five are established in church tradition. So if you were to go into Israel today, you could do your own Via Dolorosa from Herod's Praetorium or the Judgment Hall to the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. And in the Holy Sepulcher, there's five of the last 14. And so these are stations in which Jesus stopped at, or he fell, or Veronica wiped his face, or um, Simon of Cyrene was given uh, charge by the Roman soldiers to help him carry the cross. And so today I want to read for for us this passage in Mark 15. I'm going to begin reading in verse 16. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, the praetorium, and called together the whole company. And they put a purple robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. This is the Via Dolorosa. And a certain man from Siren, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by his own, his own wagon from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which is the place of the skull, and offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. This is Friday morning. Now let me show you Luke chapter 24. This is now Sunday morning, the first day of the week. Very early in the morning, the women took the spices going to not find a resurrected Savior, but to anoint a cadaver. 
to find a dead body. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And now, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, two angels stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed. The men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Seems like a crazy question. They're not looking for the living among the dead. They're looking for the dead among the dead. They're not coming and looking for a living Savior. He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you I was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. I love verse 8. Then they remember his words. Now, church, I'm not going to be long at all this morning, but I just want to lay out for you an offer that's on the table this morning. It's for you and it's for me, and then we're going to see what the Lord wants to do with that. Would you pray with me? Father, in the moments that we have together, I pray you would arrest our attention. Seize us, God. Help us to understand and see the glorious Savior, the resurrected Savior, Jesus, that we have a living, dynamic relationship with a living God. And we thank you that you overcame death, hell, and the grave. We thank you that as you lead us in our own Via Dolorosa, God, you would lead us to its incompletion, which is resurrection, life, true life. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. In 2019, there was a man named Donald Cash, aptly named apparently because he took his early retirement, took his cash in his mid-50s in order to check off the last thing on his bucket list. You know, the infamed kind of famous bucket list, right? Donald, you see, had already climbed six of the tallest mountains in the earth. He had gone to six of the tallest mountains on six of the continents, and he had just one climb left to summit. And it was the mother of them all. It was on the continent of Asia in the nation of Nepal called Mount Everest. So he takes early retirement as a software engineer and he trains and he heads to Everest. A 55-year-old man trekking his way up the mountain and he makes it gruelingly to the top of the world and he stands at 29,029 feet and few humans will ever see that spot and he drinks it in. He tries to take picture, but it doesn't matter what you do with phones. It doesn't matter how many iPhones you have or what level of Canon you have. It does not do it justice to take in that sight. Now, as high as he is, he begins to get a little bit dizzy. He's, of course, on auction. You have to have auction to climb to the top of Mount Everest. So the Sherpa guides begin to walk him back down the hill to a place called Hillary Step. Now, Hillary Step is um, an outjetting that's flat where climbers can rest. It's only about 2,000 feet from the summit, and people go there to stop. And it is on Hillary's step that Donald Cash, having checked off the last thing on his bucket list, has a heart attack and dies instantly. Now this story over the last year has become a topic of conversation for me and many other people as I have read this story about this time last year. And I thought to myself, I don't know about you, when I first read that, that is a good death. I mean, that is a good death. Like, I would like a death like that. If you understand, and like my wife doesn't like talking about these things. You know, if we have a conversation about death or how is it actually going to end, she doesn't. But, but to me, listen, folks, you have a man who's given his entire life, wealth, time, energy, all of his work years, everything to conquering these mountains and drinking it in. And upon summiting the highest, tallest mama mountain of them all and literally can't breathe. I mean, he's watching it. He is cold. It's miserable. He comes back down, drinks it, right? Drinks it all in, comes to Hillary's step and he dies. 
And I'm like, yes, please. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a good death. Now, maybe you don't know what to do with my phrase, good death. Maybe that sounds oxymoronic to you. A good death. I don't know. For me, I just want to have a good death. To be honest with you, I don't even know what that means, to be honest. But I want one. I just know I don't want to wither away in a hospital bed. Can I hear an amen on that? I, I don't want to, be, to get more. I know I can't control that. I know I can't, can't demand that of God. But I want a good one. Maybe I come across a bear in the wild like Tristan. Maybe that's how I go out. Some of you are with me, some of you are not. Maybe I see one act of injustice and I get to pounce and somebody kills me for it. I just know I want a good death. A good death. Now here's the offer that's on the table this resurrection morning. You ready? A good death. A good death. Now, you may be thinking, okay, all right, pastor, uh, I don't want to be the one that corrects you. I, I, honestly, I don't. But this is Resurrection Sunny, Sunday. This is not Crucifixion Friday. Like, you should have used this message on Friday and just given us the resurrection this morning. Here would be my argument against this, okay? And I want to share with you, church, I can't get you to resurrection if you don't understand you have to die to get there. Like, I can't help you with the resurrection Christ has for you if you're not willing to die to yourself. I can't get you to Sunday morning if you don't walk a Via Della Rosa. I can't get you to the life that God desires for you if you're not willing to be crucified. So the promises of the resurrection are vast. I mean, the promise of perfection, right? Like we just can't seem as humans to get to perfection. The promise of power. The promise of victory over our sins. Victory over our compulsions. Victory over our addictions. The promise of presence. That all of my horizontal relationships are rightly put as my vertical relationship is fulfilled in the presence of God. Listen, all of that you cannot get to without dying to yourself. You just can't get there. I can't get there. You can't get there by your moral effort. You can't get there by your own strength. You can't get there by your, your want to. You can't get there by your desire. You can't get there by obeying the law. You can't get there by being moral enough. So the offer on the table this morning, friend, is death. Beautiful. Thank you, God. It's over. Craig's old life is gone. Death. Happy Easter. I want to show you this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Folks, I want to camp out on this verse. This is where I want to spend our time for the next 18, 19 minutes. How do we, how do we understand for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God? And when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now this is written to the churches in Colossae in a period of human history that's much like our own. It is a very sexually perverse and sexually deviant culture. Most all people has mistrust in the government of the day. People are wondering what the future would hold. So the Holy Spirit pins through the Apostle Paul. And notice he said, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So look at me church, let's talk about the resurrection and the necessity of death to get there. Let me say it this way. Let's talk about the benefit of the resurrection and the necessity of the Via Dolorosa to get there. 
Now, the Bible clearly says this is true about every one of us in the room. All that are streaming live this morning, it's not just true about you and not your friend. It's not just true about your parents and not you. It's not just true about you and not your coworkers. It's not just true about you and not your other friend. The Bible is clear, Romans 3.23, that all, if you look up that word all in the Greek, it means all, which is why they translated it that way. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, you see what that just did? That just made the ground level. You understand this, right? It means completely level the ground. Are you with me? That means I don't care how you grew up. Maybe you grew up in a home where mom and dad came and jumped in your bed at nighttime and pulled up the covers, and they opened up Genesis 6, and they read you Noah's Ark, right? The story of Noah's Ark, because nothing confronts the human young soul more than God getting angry and drowning, drowning every person on the planet, okay? It's just a beautiful nighttime story, right? And so maybe they did that, and they loved you, and they prayed with you and they brought you to church every Sunday and they didn't let you listen to secular music and they made you constantly listen to Michael W. Smith, okay? Maybe that was your life. Or if you grew up in a home that was so broken and so twisted that you are 62 years old still trying to process the hurt and pain that was born from your childhood. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, listen, church. Did you know it's possible to rebel against God with acts of moral goodness? You can rebel against God with good behavior. This is the thinking and always the thing that jacks up Bible Belt people. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags before God. So listen. You aren't going to be able to pull this off. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not. Do you know that in all of the Bible, the thou shalt nots in the Bible, do you know one of the reasons they exist? Do you know why the Ten Commandments exist? It's to show you that you can't. Like people say, well, my problem, Pastor Craig, with Christianity is I always feel like I'm being judged. And I'm like, you're being judged. You are being judged. But listen, it's not to crush you. It's not to shame you. It's to invite you out of judgment and into life. You have to feel the weight of, I can't do this in order to finally receive the one who says, I've already done it for you. Gosh, guys, I mean, think about this. The Ten Commandments are there to show us how broken we are. The Ten Commandments are not complex ethics. Have you thought about it? They're just really straightforward. Don't kill anybody. You shouldn't touch another man's wife at his house. Don't lie. Don't be greedy. Don't covet other people's lives. Let me ask you a question. How do you score on that? Missed it, missed it, missed it, missed it, missed it. Zero, 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 zero. You didn't get a 50. You didn't get a 70. You didn't get a 30. You got a zero. If you're like, oh, God, Pastor Greg, I've never killed anybody. Jesus took that too from you, bro. You know why? Because on the Sermon on the Mount, he said this. You've heard it said, you do not commit murder. But I say to you, if you have anger in your heart, you're already murdered somebody. So this is weighty stuff. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then this is amazing. This is amazing because look at Isaiah chapter 1. Verse 18, come now, after feeling all this weight, you feel the weightiness, the judgment. Jesus now invites us and said, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So here's the offer. I don't know if you're going to take it or not, but here's the offer. The offer from Jesus this morning is the death of shame. 
the death of feeling dirty and I'm not good enough and the death of I wish I wouldn't have ever. That thing that just sucks all the life out of you and sucks, I'd never be good enough. I, I, I never be, I can't be good enough. I'll never measure up. I'm not man enough. I'm not woman enough. That constant eating away at the vitality of life, that is called sin. And the offer through the Via Della Rosa on the table is for that to die and to be replaced with life. The death of shame. The death of I'm not good enough. The death of I wish I hadn't. And in its place, perfection. Perfection. In fact, that's point number one. The Via Dolorosa through Sunday morning is replaced with perfection. The God of the Bible looks at you and sees you now as holy. And He sees you as blameless in His sight. And He reorients your relationship with yourself. And He reorients your relationship with everyone else around you by saying, You are perfect, Craig. I delight in you, Craig. I rejoice over you. I love you. This is the offer on the table. Watch. Death to shame and the resurrection of life. Resurrection of life. I told you on Friday, do you remember? Next slide. Adam and Eve hid behind a tree, naked in Genesis 3, covered in shame and conquered in sin. So Jesus hangs on a tree, naked, and conquers shame and sin. But it's not just perfection that we're given through our own death. If we would die to ourselves... If we just got perfection, that would be awesome, right? Come on, any type A'ers out here? It's like, woo, I can finally sleep. Everything's all right. Cool. I'm perfect. All good, right? But no, we are also given power if we will die. We're given power. Well, what do you mean power? Yeah, the Via Dolorosa is replaced with not just perfection, but power. Y'all, this is so great. The same power that raised Christ from the dead on Sunday morning is the same power that Christ has made available to us. Now, let's talk about this for a moment. You know what the universal human experience is? The Bible says that you and I are enslaved to sin. You know what that means? Here's what that means. I just can't help it. Right? Are y'all with me this morning? Y'all making me feel like I'm not. I'm buying my, myself up on this stage this morning. Am I by myself? Right, okay. This is universally true, folks. When life isn't going your way, your compulsion is not towards righteousness. When life is not going the way you want it to, your compulsion is not towards Right? When life doesn't go your way, your driving compulsion is not towards righteousness. You immediately go to what is dark. And this is true for all humans, right? Why? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all enslaved to sin. Guys, ladies, we just can't help ourselves. So we get overwhelmed and we say, God, I just need a drink. So we get overwhelmed and we say, God, I just need to get high. We get overwhelmed and we say, God, I just need to turn on the TV. I just need to veg out for a moment. We get overwhelmed and we say, God, I just need to, I just need to look at porn just for a moment. We need something to tell us that this life isn't just a train wreck, but there is something there. So it's like, oh, let me numb. Let me pursue. Let me go after this. There's something there, right? Let me go after this person on social media. Let's talk to this individual. Let me drift. We just can't help ourselves. And even if we are really disciplined and by nature we're disciplined by our parents, we might get a good run in. 
We might get a few weeks where we're doing awesome, right? Even a year where we're doing good. But you just let life happen long enough and we'll be right back to those same nasty, dark compulsions. But listen to what the Scripture says. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. So what is the offer? Are you ready? The offer on the table this morning is the death to powerlessness over sinful compulsions. The resurrection and the death of yourself gives you not only power to overcome the sinful compulsions, but it's also the death to addictions. You know the offer on the table this morning? The death to unforgiveness. You know the offer on the table this morning? The death to anger. The death so that life might live inside of you. And maybe you're in here going, okay, Craig, I know too many Christians. I don't believe you. I know way too many Christians. I'm like, man, I'm glad you brought that up. I want to talk to you about that this morning. If you hear me saying you can have death to compulsions, death to addictions, death to pain, death to your own kind of, you know, reality of sin. And you're like, bro, I know people at your church. I know people at dwelling place. They are not dead to those things. No, 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 no. Let's, let's talk about this for a second. Look at me, church. Look. I want you to hear me. Next slide. There is a huge difference between being alive in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. A huge difference. The thing as pastoring that drives into my soul and really gets me animated. Now I'm animated this morning, but I can go into another gear. I can be quasi animated. You know what makes me as a pastor get animated? Animated? It's Christians who will not walk in the victory that Christ has actually ushered in. They won't utilize the power that indwells them. They consistently fall to the flesh. They consistently fall to the temptations and choose not to access the power that's been made available through the death of themselves. So let's flesh this out. You ready? 20 years I've been following Jesus since February. 20 years, y'all. 20 years I've been going after Jesus. 18 of that I've been in ministry. And I can steal. Look at me. You can catch me on the wrong day and I can feel some strong compulsions in my flesh to do things that don't please God. And honestly, if I told them to you, I'm not sure you'd want to attend our church. And I honestly can't believe they're still inside of me. Can I just speak to the universal human experience for a moment? Anyone else ever find themselves in a situation in life and you find some things in there like that? Still? When will that go away? Now here's where's the difference. Because I am a son and not a slave, I have a choice of whether or not to tap into that supernatural divine power that dwells inside of me or just fold to my flesh. It's a decision that does not exist before I surrender and die to myself and come alive in Christ. You don't get that decision until you die to yourself. You fold every time. You, get, you give in every moment of temptation. And it's not a one-time deal, friends. It's not a one-time decision. Jesus says you got to take up the cross every day. Now, not to add to Scripture, but I sometimes feel like I have to pick it up a couple times per day. Anybody have to pick it up four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times a day? 
but by being aware of whose I am and who I am as opposed to what I'm not, frees me up to fight against sin, to fight against compulsions, and fight against addictions with a weapon I don't have if I don't die to myself. Listen, if I won't die to myself, all I have is my own strength and my own might to fight sin. How's that working for us? Not well. So the offer is the death of compulsion, the death of addiction, the death of sin, the death of sin reigning over your life so that life might dwell in you and grant you the supernatural ability to walk in victory. Now, I know for some of you in this area, hear me, I'm being sensitive. The pain is so great that the thing that drives you to addiction and compulsion is born out of a deep brokenness and despair of your past. And maybe in your heart you say today, well, Craig, I just want it to stop. I just want the pain to stop. I just want the compulsion to stop. This is the great offer for you on the table this Easter. Listen, this is how you make it stop. You die. You die to yourself. The ground is level at the cross. And people who grew up in church, they don't have a step up on you. Oh, well, they, well, they, they're, they're friends who, you know, they understood it. No, 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 no. You are cutting down Jesus' grace. No, no, no. The ground is level. It doesn't matter where you grew up, what side of the tracks you grew up on, how much scriptures you got taught as a kid. You have the same power available to you to overcome sin. I read a book from Brennan Manning this year. I'd like to share with you what he felt that Jesus was saying to him one good Friday morning. This is what Jesus said to him. Little brother, perhaps the most difficult thing for you to accept at this moment is your failure to have done with your life what you longed to accomplish. This is the cross you wanted least of all, the cross you never expected, the cross you find hardest to bear. Somewhere you got the idea that I expected your life to be an untarnished success story, an unbroken upward spiral towards wholeness. Don't you see I'm too realistic for that, Jesus said to him. I witnessed a Peter who three times claimed that he didn't know me, a James who wanted power in return for service, a Philip who after three years didn't know he was supposed to see the Father in me. I witnessed a score of disciples who were sure I was finished on Calvary. The New Testament is full of men who started out well and faltered. Yet I appeared to Peter and James is not remembered for his ambition, but a sacrifice of self and the kingdom. Philip did see the Father in Christ, and the disciples who despaired had enough courage to recognize me and the stranger at their side who broke bread with them in the gathering darkness at the road to Emmaus. The point is this. I expect more failure from you than you expect from yourself. What a line. The failure is to bring you to a place of death. Death. You die to yourself. So you get the offer of perfection, blamelessness, sinlessness, purity before God. You get power, secondly, over sin, over addiction, over compulsion. And then lastly, thirdly, you get presence. The Via Dolorosa is replaced with presence. What do you mean presence? Now, I love this from King David. You want to read it with me? Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There's fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Church, we're going to have an uncomfortable, awkward talk. And if you're like, you're already there, great. Let's just stay here for a minute, all right? There is woven into you and to me from the earliest moments in the Western world 
from our earliest moments of life, a kind of hyper-romanticism about how people are going to be able to help us and fix us. So it starts innocently enough when you're just a young boy, a young girl in elementary school, and you know how it starts? Well, there's a group of friends who will help me. And then it gets into teenagehood where it graduates into a more romantic version in America where it's about one person, right? There's one man, there's one woman out there, and man, I'm going to meet them, and they're going to make all the drama go away. And then you get married. Like, come on, bro. Like, y'all, when I married Meredith, if I'm coming into the marriage and saying, okay, babe, I need you to fix all my father wounds and I need you to fix my lust, lustful compulsions if you could just fix those. And I need you to fix sometimes that I feel insecure and lovely or lonely by myself. And, and Meredith, I don't know, if I need you to fix sometimes the, quite the fact that I question I'm not good enough. And then if you can help me around the house and maybe cook too, that'd be awesome. Now, if that sits on my wife or if my wife puts those things on me, how well does that go? Well, it crushes the relationship because I'm asking her to be the one thing she can't be, God. She's asking me to be the one thing I can't, uh, she's asking me to be the one thing I can't be in her life. What is that? God. So what happens when it doesn't work in our marriage for the first few years? You know what you do? You say, let's have kids. So let's start putting it on our kids. This is American parenting. Y'all, I'm going to walk you through American parenting for a moment, right? Because when the marriage stops working and they can't meet my need for my own dysfunction, what do I do? I need these things broken in me to be fixed by my spouse. And they can't do it, so what do I do? Well, i got to have a kid. And now this kid can validate me. And now I can live my whole sports life through my kid. Now I can go back and do all the things that I didn't do as a teenager through my kid. And I'll punch people and kill people and knock people out because of my kid can validate me. This kid can show me that I'm worth something. This kid can show me that I mean something in life. How crushing is that for the kid and the parent? No, no, no. The scripture is saying the path of life, the fullness of joy is found in a vertical relationship. And then that solves our horizontal issues. So what is the offer? Here it is. You ready? The offer on Easter is the death to relationships that we thought could save us. The death to loneliness, the death to despair, the death to depression. Resurrection and the presence of God and the pursuit of that presence for the rest of our days. Look at me, church. I was, you were created to be in the presence of God and nothing else will satisfy the human soul. So here we are Easter Sunday morning. And to get to the resurrection that's available for you, here's what I know. It's on the table for all of us. Y'all, you and I right now, look at me, church, are living in a world that cherishes and champions self-actualization. Can I just preach to you? I'm closing. If anything is going to destroy America, it's that narcissistic nonsense of self-actualization. If you want your soul to rot from the inside out and destroy all fruitfulness, here's what you need to believe. Just believe that the best version of you is the thing that will solve life's issues and you will rot because it will fuel it and it will feed it and it will just turn on the news, folks. How's it going for us in self-actualization? 
I'm guessing the majority of us see things in American culture right now and we go, that is absolutely absurd. And I just want to argue with you today that that absurdity finds its roots in the idea of self-actualization. Listen, life is not found when you self-actualize. Life is found when you die to yourself. This is the path to life. This is the path to joy. It's the death to self. It's a via dolorosa. Not fighting and, 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 and clinging and, and being disciplined and struggling to fix your world. Y'all, that is exhausting. I guess what I'm just trying to invite you to today is listen to me. I'm just inviting you to just, just stop it. Just stop. Just stop doing it. Just die. Just give up. Just release. And say, I'm not able to do this, God. Will you do this for me? And plug in to the divine enablement to walk in real life. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you want to know what a first grade teacher in Boston, Massachusetts did this week? He taught his kids about what it means to be human. Let's just see what he says to the first graders here. And something, something cool about me, Miss Hammond? All right. All right. So something that's really cool and unique about who I am is that I am transgender. So we touched a little bit about that at the beginning of this week uh, in the book that Miss Hammond read. But I'm going to give you my explanation about what it means to be transgender as well. So when babies are born, the doctor looks at them and they make a guess about whether the baby is a boy or a girl based on what they look like. And most of the time that guess is 100 percent correct. There are no issues whatsoever. Um, and, but sometimes the doctor is wrong. The doctor makes an incorrect guess. Um, when the doctor makes a correct guess, that's when a person is called cisgender. When a doctor's guess is wrong, that's when they are transgender. So I'm a man, but when I was a baby, the doctors told my parents I was a girl. And so my parents gave me a name that girls typically have and bought me clothes that girls typically wear. Um, and until I was 18 years old, everyone thought I was a girl. And this was super, super uncomfortable for me because I knew that wasn't right. Um, the way I like to describe it is like wearing a super itchy sweater. Um, the longer you wear it, the itchier it gets. And the that only way to make the... Finds its root in self-actualization. Listen to me, church. All of the division and all of the brokenness in the world we see all over is God giving humankind what they want, which is themselves. And friends, the only way out is not working harder at being you. It's finding that you have to die and really discover who you are in him. So Jesus says, let me put it out there. Come on, team. This is what he says. If anyone desires to come after me, everybody say me. Literally, if any of you want to line up behind me and be a part of my movement, that's what Jesus says. How many of you say, yes, Jesus, we want to do that? We want to do that? Okay, look what he says. You will have to deny yourself. It's going to require that you say no to you. It's going to require that you are not ruled by your appetites and by your own ambition. You will have neither the opportunity to act or react like the rest of your friends or the world around you. 
And then he said something that means almost nothing to us, but meant everything to his audience that day. He goes on and says, and then you must take up your cross. You must deny yourself and you must take up your cross. Now in the first century, if you were carrying a cross, you know what that meant? It meant that your independence has come to an end. To take up a cross was to signify my independence and the way I want to do life has come to an end. And then Jesus adds a significant word in what he says. And this is the challenge, folks. This is the differentiator in between being a believer and being a disciple. He says, daily. You can pray a sinner's prayer once, but this is different because this is a daily decision. Listen, the painful yet redemptive pattern of Christianity is always been and always will be death and resurrection. And I want to tell you something this morning. Next slide, church. The resurrection is God's definitive no to death and God's decisive yes to life. But you have to be willing to die. Now, I don't know if this is in my Bible, but you know what I think was Jesus' words when he first got up out of the grave that Sunday morning? Nah. <laughs> N-A-H. Nah. And yet now he invites us on the same Via Dolorosa, the same death to self, so that we might have real life. Would you bow your heads with me across this room? Close your eyes. I wonder how many this morning are in here and you're like, man, I am, I am just, I'm just done. I, I'm just so ready for this to be over. Like I am exhausted. to try to change and I cannot change. Like I, I, I don't know how long I can do this. Like, the invitation friend on the table today for you and for me is death. Death to sin and shame replaced with Perfection. The offer on the table today is death to compulsion, death to addiction, death to sinful habits, and replaced with the gift of power. The offer on the table today is death to relationships that I thought could save me, death to the loneliness, death to despair, replaced with the presence of Almighty God today in order to reach that resurrection we have to be willing to die to ourselves thank you so much for listening to this week's message if you would like more information about our church be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org